Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Rachel Krupa of The Goods Mart, the socially conscious neighborhood convenience store. Rachel and her team are on a mission to make better for you foods more accessible and to celebrate the incredible makers of all colors and backgrounds that make a positive impact on our food system. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Rachel Krupa. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Cameron. I'm very excited to chat with you. Yeah, so to kick things off, I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Um, where did you grow up, and what would you say your childhood was like? Uh, I think I had a great childhood. Um, I grew up in a small town in Michigan. Um, it was called Pink Honning, which is like a population of, I think, less than 12,000. Mm. Um, or not 12,000, 1,200. It was super tiny, one stoplight. Wow. Um, and it was incredible. I think that's where kind of just like the joys of convenience stores kind of happened because yeah. we shopped, our grocery shopping was more at gas stations because that's where you got your milk and your cheese because it was the closest thing to us. Yeah. It was a very rural farming city. Mm, amazing. So growing up, what were some of your interests or aspirations at a, at a young age, pre, pre-college? So what, what were you interested in? Um, I was very much an athlete, gymnastics, cheerleading, um, then student council and kind of just like always like having more of like a mission to things Yeah. and that early learning of asking the questions of why. And I think building that energy from like the cheerleading gymnastics side of it is like that mm. overly performing and also at the same time of leading a crowd. Yeah. Um, but then the, you know, the student government side of it was very much of like, how do we do things right and how do we you know make things better for collective good for sure i love it so uh going on to i saw you went on to central michigan did gymnastics or athletics go into that as well or what did that look like Cheer, cheerleading yeah so okay. i was a um, collegiate cheerleader throughout college as well awesome so what did you end up studying there uh central michigan and kind of what did you um get interested in doing after that yeah, I went to school initially to start to do um, meteorology. I okay. wanted to be more of a better way to say a weather girl. Yeah. But then at the same time, it was like understanding that meteorology is like basically having a master's or not a master's, but like a degree in math. Yeah. And I'm not the best with like mathematics. So that <laughs> was just like a big check of no. Yeah. And then it was broadcasting of like, oh, I feel like being a news anchor would be incredible and fun. And then I can't read a teleprompter. <laughs> like words across like a screen, <laughs> I, I just can't do. It was something you learn early in life that you're like, I yeah, can't do this either. Yeah. And so I had a, a really great degree, you know, kind of within like Central Michigan. It was like the first year, I think my sophomore years, we, they started doing integrated public relations because of the mm. broadcasting side that I started going through for two years. It was like PR is journalism, it's broadcast and it's yeah. communications, which then that turned into, okay, I think PR is like the angle, but I also started doing uh, political science too. Okay. So then I also have a degree in poli sci and then um, public relations. And so it was more of doing tons of internships to mm. understand what I actually wanted to do yeah. before doing it. Amazing. So before we get into your own agency that you started uh, right out of college, what kind of PR did you get into? Was it products, direct to consumer? What kind of range did that cover? 
Yes. So initially I started with internships with um, a congressional member in D.C. So it was very much a political then realizing I don't like the policy side of it. And, you know, in the early 2000s, like being a female in more of a corporate setting, um, you had to wear nylons and you had to be very like it was very weird in regards of like dress code restrictions. Yeah. You know, and you're like, I don't want to wear nylons the rest of my life. You know, it's <laughs> those like small things make a big difference in just like overall like thought process. Um, sure. So I did a handful of different degree or internships in poli sci. And I was like, I don't want to do that check from a PR perspective. Mm. Then I moved to New York to do major league baseball. But instead of doing comms internship, I decided to do an IT internship with major league baseball, the commissioner's office. Mm. And because I was like, I need to diversify my background in <laughs> do IT. Basically, it was like a year and a half, or maybe a half a year, six months, uh, mm-hmm. eight months. That was very much of like testing a PricewaterhouseClearing kind of like, you know, system that they were going to implement. But at the yeah. end, they didn't implement it. And so it was like, mm. okay, that's the eight months of my life that I was testing a system that I didn't really wow. learn anything. But it was... That was, I think, the best internship I had because the, the incredible connections and humans that I met there yeah. um, are individuals and people that I'm still in connections with, but mm. ended up being like, you know, higher up within baseball, higher up within like different like sporting organizations. Mm. And so that's where I got like that inkling of like, okay, connections are everything. Yeah. Um, and they make a big difference. And that's kind of what PR is. Yeah. And I was co-checking at the Hudson Hotel because in New York, you have to work multiple jobs and or at least I did. Yeah. And it was I was doing co-check at the Hudson and some a person came up and was just like, hey, if I get you an internship in PR, will you want to date with me? And I was like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, so icky. And I ended up getting an internship at Lizzie Grubman, which is like a really great entertainment um, PR agency. Mm. And that was in 2002 and ended up getting an internship there. And that's more of the catalyst of starting more of the entertainment um, hospitality um, mm. side of PR, which then I've now had within my own agency and company. But that was mm. more of the first real job wow. that I had in PR. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm curious, how long did you hold this job? I know it's an internship or did you work somewhere else prior to your own agency? Um, and how long? Yeah. So I was with Lizzie Grubman for five years. Okay. Um, and that was doing a lot of nightclubs and more celebrity driven events from like entourage premiere parties to, you know, nightclub openings in the Hamptons. Yeah. And then I moved to LA after working for her for five years to open up a West Coast office for another um, communication company where we did a lot more restaurants and mm. more spirit companies. And so I was with that agency for, I think, three years mm. um, before then starting my own company. So I was out of agencies for probably eight years okay. before then doing my own thing. Got it. So, I mean, you've covered such a wide variety of industries. I'm curious, uh, starting your own with Krupa Consulting then, what ignited that interest to start your own? Um, you, you leveraged some connections, I'm sure, along the way. And what did that look like? It was more of it's Krupa Consulting because it was a means to find an end. 
Mm. It was never a dream to have my own agency. Yeah. I think where I grew up, it wasn't more of, you know, own a own company, start like a business. It was more of like, how do you do something that you love on an everyday basis it was more of like my outlook of work is mm. like, if you love what you do every day, you should do that and make money doing that. Um, otherwise you can go back and have like, find a job in some way, yeah. you know, in regards of finding income. Um, but then it was more of like, okay, like I'm going to do this consulting thing because like, I have relationships and I can do work for this restaurant on the side, or I can do this mm. because I wasn't happy at the agency that I was working for. And so it was like, I'll start this, you know, yeah. and just like, as like a means to find the next step in my PR career. Got it. And then it kind of spiraled. It was just like, okay, here's one client. And then this client mm. referred this client and then this mm. client referred this client. And then at wow. some point I was like, Oh gosh, like, is this an agency? And, it kind of happened. Yeah. Very cool. I'm, I'm curious. I've worked with some boutique agencies where it's actually just like one individual. It's the founder who starts it. Um, mm -hmm. How long were you working here until you brought in your first hire? And how critical was that next hire uh, for the growth? Yeah, um, it was myself. And then early on, it was just more of like internship and assistant. Yeah. Um, because like it was more of hospitality and a lot of restaurant work that you need just like bandwidth and like human power of just like doing events and openings yeah. and so i had a, an assistant early on um to kind of help with just like busy work list building you know x y and z and mm -hmm. i would say probably after a good two years is like when we made more of like a first hire yeah and then we were pretty much the core team of like four people mm -hmm. for i would say four or five years okay. and then at that point it was like okay we have a lot more business we should grow and it's that exponential mm. growth where you're like, here's four. And then you're like, here's eight. Yeah. And then now we're at like 15 and wow. you know, it's just like, I like small and intimate. Um, yeah. and so I think we're at like a really good sweet spot right now. Mm. I love it. So how, in what ways would you say that you expanded industry wise? You said you focused in hospitality. What does Kruba kind of focus on today? Uh, industry wise. Yeah, and I think that's where we kind of learned. It, hospitality was where our backbone was. I did nightclub PR for eight years, you know? Yeah. So what is like a, what do you do after nightclubs? You're like, people open up restaurants. Yeah. They have liquor brands. And then as the, I think we, I grew up with like a really cool group of like people that were nightclub promoters that were, you know, very much more of the entrepreneurial spirit that yeah. now owned restaurants. So it was more of less like they were promoters at this club. Now they have restaurants and I can do PR for it. And mm. we talk about cocktails, which is similar to nightclub. Yep. Um, and then it turned into more of like CPG mm. and then wellness because being an athlete and being more within like the, you know, wellness community, my entire life from the personal yeah. kind of passion. It was more of like, Hey, like let's start talking about this because that was 2000. I would say, you know, 2012, 2013, mm. where you started having this shift of CPG that was better for you. Yep. And that was where you had like the small organic section within a grocery store, you know, and you're like, here's organic. And it was before like Whole Foods with Whole Foods. Yeah. And then you had the explosion of Whole Foods. And then it was more like, hey, what about the quality of ingredients that are going inside your products? And then there was like the shift. Mm. Um, and so we were very fortunate to be on that better for you restaurant side of just like looking at it 
in the sense of like, you know, where are you sourcing your ingredients? What are the type of proteins that you're doing? Yep. Um, you know, looking at it quality and then the CPG side of it was like, okay, we got this. Mm. And then people started coming to us where one of our first like wellness clients was Designer Way, which was like the first female focused, um, you know, protein powder. Wow. And that was like early 20, probably 2010, 2012. Wow. And then we started talking about adaptogens and superfoods mm. probably early on back then too. And then we became known as like the food and wellness kind of agency. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Rachel's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Henry Griffiths. Henry Griffiths offers premium custom fit golf clubs. Yes, custom fit, not a sales pitch when you go to a store and they throw you ready to play golf clubs, but custom tailored clubs. They take pride in their clubs being custom tailored to your gameplay, size, swing speed, and much more. As someone who really enjoys golfing on my free time, I love playing with my Henry Griffiths clubs because they're exactly tailored to the way I play. You simply go to their website, see their locator, and find different fitters in your region that they partner with, and you'll be ready to go with your own set of clubs. So, whether you golf a couple times a week or once a month, Henry Griffiths has clubs for your exact gameplay. I highly recommend checking out Henry Griffiths, so make sure to check them out at henry-griffiths.com. The link's in this description. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. I think this, yeah, it's a perfect segue into the Goodsmart 2018 launch. And I, th I, I would love to hear your POV on this, but um, what I'm gathering is you kind of went into CPG and that's what inspired the Goodsmart Good uh, launch. Did you take some of your clients, existing clients from PR and to, as like some of your first products? We had some of them, but I think it was more of this, it, it was multiple iterations before. So it was like something I was toying with for a long time. And yeah. I'm a believer if you talk about something long enough with like people, you're like, I'm gonna open up a better version of a 7-Eleven. And yeah. everyone's like, okay, great. And then if you're talking about it for a year, you either do it yeah. or you stop talking about it. Yeah. And it was like, okay, can I actually do this? And there was no business plan in place there was no thought process of how do i do this mm. it was um being very fortunate to have had a pr agency then for eight years of okay i know people that have a contractor i know i need to find a venue i know i have people because we launched um thrive market and a lot of friends like knew mm. that operational side that connected me to you know the human that consulted on the operation side of like here's how you set it up yeah and so it was like okay let's do this because for me, it was like, there's a better for you product that exists in pretty much every category yeah. back then. And that was, say, 2017, 2016. But why didn't convenience stores carry the things that we wanted? And if it was supposed to be convenient, mm. why wasn't convenience matching to what our needs and wants were? Yeah. Very cool. I'm curious then. So what were some of those first product lines before launching? You said you were toying with it. I'm sure you had to have some base of SKUs to be able to then start selling. What was that focus at first? Yeah, I think everything in our company or everything in like the goods initially, I worked with an incredible like um, registered dietitian, Ashley Koff, mm. to help me figure out what those brand pillars were. So that yeah. was like non-GMO, no artificial flavors, like, you know, minimally processed in regards of just like proteins, non-antibiotic from like a protein perspective and just like having our base level of like what better for you meant because yep. better for you and healthy, I guess, healthy to others is such a wide spectrum. Yeah. But if we say better for you because of X, Y, and Z, you can reach more people and be more approachable. Mm. So early brands were, you know, it was, Diete was just launching. It mm. was, you know, um, Jackson, 
you know, Terra chips than like Jackson's one or Jackson's own. It felt like it was like forever ago yeah. that you had. It was back then it was like Partake and Denise, um, who started Partake was just launching. Wow. Um, you know, Olipop was just launching. Mm. Um, then you had, you know, Mountain Valley water that was becoming more of like the it water, just water was just launching at the same time. Yep. And so you had these really cool brands that were doing it right. Um, that was Mary, Mary's gone, mm. you know, Mary's gone blanking on all the names back in the day, but now they're named same names. Yep. And so that, that funny, you're like, okay, this is amazing because this is like the brands that now you see are doing it in, in infrastructure, basically every grocery store mm. because they're the ones that were the pioneers. Yeah. And so you're like, yeah, that's great. But you've also saw a lot of brands that are not with us anymore. Mm. For sure. So to the listeners out there, can you, at launch especially, did you did you launch with the brick and mortar or did you launch online minimal products? What, what did that launch look like initially? We launched with the brick and mortar store. Wow. And it was a brick and mortar store without really understanding what it was, but we, you know, knew kind of like, okay, I can figure it out. Um, yeah. So it was a brick and mortar store in Los Angeles. Um, it was around 800 square feet. Hmm. We had over, I think, 300, 400 SKUs. Um, we had a coffee bar, self serve coffee bar, because we pay homage to like gas stations where it's self serve. Yeah. We had organic kombucha slushies at launch. Um, we had a lot of like ugly fruits and vegetables because that was like right when mm-hmm. like the upcycled ugly fruits and vegetables kind of like came to the limelight. So we worked yeah. with local farmers to have ugly fruits and vegetables that were at a better price because mm-hmm. for us, it was really trying our best to be approachable, um, versus alienating in the sense of just like having a store that everything was like, you know, yeah. better for you. For, for sure. some people that means like not tasty. It means that it's too expensive it's x y and z yeah so it was really really interesting to open up in silver lake where it was a really great diversity of humans Mm. that came to us for different needs um and it was fun yeah still is yeah for sure so i mean you said you had a brick and mortar so what what happened was was COVID an impact on that as well and then what did that shift look like i know you have new york spot now um but what did that first store um then pan out to be yeah, so that was um, April of 2018. Yep. In October of 2018, I opened up New York. Um, and so that was just like, you know, you put your competitiveness on overdrive where you're like, okay, yeah, I can scale. I can open up something fast. You yeah. know, so it was not really understanding the business and not really understanding like retail because retail is a beautiful art of mm-hmm. location. It's foot traffic. It's like, actually understanding like the usage of your customers of like how often are they going to come in what are they going to come in for yeah and so i was looking at it as more of like yeah i can open up multiple stores mm. and so it was having two companies so i still had the pr agency still have it yep. it was you know having the pr agency on new york and la mm. having a store in new york and la <laughs> and then me being a sole owner of both yeah and so collectively it was just like I don't know where I'm living. I don't know where I'm at. I'm just juggling two businesses, <laughs> trying to do my best as like being a leader, being, you know, a business owner. And it was more of making a hard decision of being like, yeah. people in New York know how to shop small. They know how to shop convenience. Mm-hmm. And so it was right before COVID that decided just to close the, the Silver Lake location because it didn't have the foot traffic. 
Yeah. But that's something you learn over time. And like, it's like, I have a master's in business now. For sure. Um, but it was, it was hard. It was one of the biggest things as an entrepreneur. You're like, I'm a failure mm. because I closed my store. Mm. You felt like you disappointed the community. You disappointed the brands. You disappointed your team. Mm. You disappointed all of this. And you were just like, I'm a complete failure right now. Mm. No, no, I, I see what you're saying is when I, when I lived in LA, I totally get it. The foot traffic, I was in Santa Monica, so it was minimal. Um, and I, I was in New York a couple weeks ago. Um, in Soho, I should have stopped by, but I, the foot traffic is just drastically different. And just the mindset of the people who commute and live around there, it, it's, it is a difference for those who don't know, don't live there. So I totally get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But uh, So it was great. But it was like you need to trial and error things. We also had the third lease signed to open up before the end of 2018. Yeah. And so it was just like I bit off too much that I could chew. Mm. And like, you know, it was just more of making sure like it was intentionally to do what we did. And like mm. e-commerce didn't come until the pandemic. And yeah. that was more of a pandemic our customers wanted the products and we didn't have a way to get it to them. And so I was like, okay, let's turn on Weebly and I'll build yeah. out the site myself. Yeah. <laughs> so majority of our guests are um, CPG founders and a lot of our listeners are as well. I'm curious to them, what does the process look like then? So a new product wants to roll into the Goodsmart. What does that process look like in kind of picking for you guys? Yeah, for us, it's we really want to be that place that all emerging brands are going into because we want to be like a really retail partner with them mm. um, in regards of helping them. It's like, what do you need help with? And that's like the biggest question is like, once you're in our store, we look at it from like a standpoint of price point. We make sure that we have good margins because you need margins in order to run a business. Yeah. But then what is the foundational story? What is like the mission? And then also what is the taste? Because for us, like customers come in to understand that Sub taste is subjective, obviously, mm. but like, you know, when something tastes great, you're like, I know I'm not a monk fruit stevia person, but I know like if there is like a product that is like really great blended, like I know this is going to be great for them, you mm. know, or here's this. And so we really look at it as collectively, not only myself, but our team tastes the product yeah. and like my dad, that's not a healthy human. He's healthier now, so I won't say that. <laughs> um, he's, he's working on it really hard. But he grew up on Doritos and, you know, like potato chips yeah. in Michigan. And so it's like, do you like this, dad? And he's just like, I love this product. And I'm like, okay, great. If you love this, it's like you can find something for everyone. Um, and then it's just like, you know, really looking to be like, how do we be helpful? How can we be helpful? Mm. Like majority are young, so it's do you need help with distribution? Yeah. Do you need like help with just figuring out what is a great price point? Mm. Um, you know, do you want connections with other founders? Do you maybe need help with investment? Do you need help with just like pinging ideas off from marketing and brand? Because that's something that I've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. So we want to, we want you to start with us, but we want you to graduate from us mm. and we want you to be in, you know, the whole foods, the sprouts, the Kroger's of the world, but let us like get your feet wet a little bit. Yeah. into like the brick and mortar space and like the retail space and like let us like make sure that you're ready to go so when you're ready to get to the, the bigger players you kind of have a good foundation mm. i love that well i like to conclude each episode with this um if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur maybe something you've learned or regret along the way what would you say that would be there's two <laughs> there's never a right time to launch mm. so like there's never the perfect moment you yeah. just got to do it and then go. Um, and that if you look at every 
say mess up as a learning, you're never really failing mm. because you look at it as like, hey, this didn't work, but what did I learn from this? then you're constantly on that positive, like I'm growing and expanding um, and developing skill sets that you're not in this Henderson way of like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. I closed my store. I did this, I did that. But it was like, you know what I learned from that? I learned that really, like foot traffic is everything. I learned that mm -hmm. you need like parking if you're in LA. Like I learned that you need to have like, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner traffic. And like, you need to have like a point system for that. Like, yeah, I learned like marketing is key community and connecting with things are key for us. Mm. And so then you're never really failing. And isn't that a beautiful way to look at things of like, I'm not failing, but I'm growing with every single moment that you have. But Rachel, no, thank you so much for uh, joining me and to the listeners out there, make sure to check out the Goodsmart at thegoodsmart.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.